Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here's an Indie Blues double shot from our featured artist today, Taylor Scott. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs. Losing track of time has always been a friend of mine. Minute fascination and Lord expectations get me by. But day to day, it mostly feels the same. Like I've been here before, when everybody swore it would change. 
And that was Taylor Scott from his brand new release. And we got Taylor on the line. Hey, Taylor, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing great, Rich. How you doing? Doing pretty well. Now, this is the first time you've been on our show, and we always like to give our fans this opportunity to really get to know an artist. And the best way to do that is to look at your journey, how you got to where you are today. So give us the story of Taylor Scott. Yeah, man. You know, I, I grew up in uh, Wyoming, uh, in Cheyenne, Wyoming, where there's not a whole lot of uh, musical opportunities, but kind of found my way into, you know, classic country music and blues and rock and roll and jazz and eventually a whole world of, of things kind of through that early YouTube and uh, record store like uh, uh, era. And um, I guess I should say early YouTube, late record store era. <laughs> and uh, got really into into music that way and uh, eventually ended up starting the tour with Otis Taylor, who lives in Boulder. So I was always like traveling down to Colorado to play music and stuff and uh, eventually linked up with Otis Taylor. He's this really great uh, trance blues musician. And we would tour Europe a bunch. I started touring with him when I was 19. So pretty early uh, experience to the exposure to the scene and toured with him for a few years started the taylor scott band uh live in denver now and have for about the last eight or nine years tour with uh that group whenever i wasn't playing with otis and that's what i've been doing full time the taylor scott band the past few years so that's pretty much the reader's digest version (laughs) okay now let's talk about this new release um what was your goal for this when you put it together well, I had made a record with Steve Berlin. Uh, he's, he was the producer on this record and, and the previous studio album that I did. So I was kind of just looking to expand on, on the work we had done together and kind of that vibe we had created and, and um, kind of keep down that journey sonically, too, you know, uh, between like kind of our band and his producing style. It just seemed like a something that had a lot of energy to it when we made the previous record, which was called All We Have. And so uh, I was just really excited to kind of explore that relationship further, like stylistically and sonically. Uh, and I'm really proud of the way that that turned out on this record, The Hang. Okay. Now, um, let's talk about you as a songwriter, because let's face it, every release has to start with good songs. Um, you know, especially in the blues genre, I think... The song has always kind of been given this backseat kind of thing where, you know, it's it was basically the lyrics were an excuse to give the, you know, the lead player a, a chance to rest. Um, but we really need to get back to that whole world of making good songs. When you sit down to begin that writing process, what do you do that kind of allows you to tap into the muse? You know, it's funny you're talking about the blues thing and, and kind of the vocals being something between solos and everything. I, I, man, that is kind of what a lot of it turned into over the years, but it's funny, like, so much of the early stuff is kind of like the opposite, you know, like the the 12-bar solo, one chorus around to mm-hmm. kind of support whatever the song is actually saying. It was always about the singer, right? Until, like, guys like B.B. King kind of changed that a little bit and made it, like a little more about that lead stuff, but that's just so, it's such an interesting, like, evolution, um, and it's funny to hear 
the way people interpret that now at the blues gyms. <laughs> a lot of jamming going on, but that's okay. Uh, but yeah, man, you know, um, my process has changed over the years. I think a lot of people's do just kind of as you grow as a, as a person, as a, as an artist, but I, you know, I, I tend to not write for some period of time. And, uh, that's kind of like when you're collecting your experiences, right. You know, like, some people write stuff down right away when it happens. I like tend to, especially being a musician, you know, for my whole adult life, uh, professional musician touring, it's like during the crazy touring times, I don't really write that much cause we're just, we're running hard. And so that's like my little experience collecting time. Right. You know? And then, uh, a lot of times during the fall or winter is when I'll get more time to sit down and really kind of like flush out all those ideas. But the way I tend to do it is, you know, whether it's melodies uh, or lyrics or, or other, you know, musical ideas that are coming to me, I, I put stuff either down on paper or wherever I'm at. I, I carry a little notebooks around or I, you know, sing something to the phone or whatever and kind of just collect a bunch of raw materials, you know what I mean? Um, and some of them will, will kind of come to life quicker than others, but uh, it's fun to go back into that sort of file of all the things that happened the previous, like, four or six months, you know, or whatever, and start to put that down at, in a little more, with a little more structure, you know? So that's kind of like, I just try to keep things sort of experience-based, you know? I try to kind of tell my story or whatever. I mean, that's another thing with, you know, talking about blues music is, like, sometimes, you know, some of the contemporary stuff seems like it's sort of imitating somebody else telling their story, and that's, you know, like not really what I want out of a song. You know, I want like the the genuine, authentic story of that person. Just like that's what I love about old school blues. You know, um, as it was their authentic self. So I try to keep like I try to keep things to be street level and kind of like what's really going on in my life and our lives, like my little community and everything. You know. Okay. Now you know I I often find that melody and lyrics are really two different functions of the brain. Um, when a songwriter starts looking for melodies, some like to work off of a groove, others like to have a chord structure to kind of work within, and then there are others that take the lyric and, and allow that cadence to dictate where the melody should go. When you're looking for your melodies, what's kind of your process? Uh, you know, a lot of stuff sort of just comes to me, to be honest, man, um, you know, in, in, like like a lot of times the, the hook of a tune won't really be something that I like come up with on purpose. You know what I'm saying? It's like something that comes to you or for me personally often like comes to me in my head, you know, as opposed to sitting down and trying to like write a melody. That's just me personally. And a lot of like my hookiest stuff seems to have kind of, have kind of just mysteriously showed up. You know what I mean? But um, I try to make sure that, uh, you know, I'm I'm paying attention when when the song gets a little more developed. I try to make sure that I'm paying attention to the lyrics that I want to be uh, like the gut punches versus the the kind of vehicles for the next gut punch and whatnot. You know, and so like I want to land the lyrics that I think are the gut punch lyrics on certain like with with certain have a, have a certain melodic um, like presence to them and and. and sort of something that has like something uh like the strong part of the melody you know i'll try to land what i think is like the most impactful lyric there you know so it can kind of come together but 
you know, I, to be honest, man, that's like a little bit later in the process for me when I'm really getting like the the hook that the song is built around. I almost never do that, like write that out on purpose. You know, it's stuff that comes to you as you're just singing some new lyrics you came up with or whatever. That's how my process usually is. But I'm not like Nashville songwriter guy, you know, so I'm sure my process is a little more random okay. <laughs> than some of those guys. That, that's fair enough. Now, you know, every songwriter has their toolkit, and a lot of writers have embraced technology as part of their toolkit, whether it's their cell phone to capture ideas or, you know, they have a home recording studio where they lay out a structure and then write to that. What are some of the tools that you have found that are indispensable when you sit down to write? Yeah, I uh, when I'm on the go, I'll sing stuff or or put stuff down into my phone just because it's convenient, and I forget things really quickly. Just like I think most creatives, you know, if you don't get it down, if you're flowing all the time and you don't get stuff down, it could be gone with the wind a lot of times. So the phone's nice for that when you're on the go, but I don't really love it as a tool at home because I think it can you can be distracted by your phone in so many other non musical ways, even if you're just you know, supposed to be using the voice memos app or whatever. So honestly, when I get to the house, I'll, I'll use like a little field recorder or something a lot of the time if I'm really trying to sit down and write. Just keep that distraction away because honestly, I think that's the thing that messes up my whole focus, you know, with, with writing um, and really just creative flow in general is like the technological part of it. And some people are totally the opposite, you know, but for me, it just causes a lot of distractions um, a lot of the time. So, you know, I try to keep the phone out of it when I'm not on the go, but I love using it uh, just for convenience to not forget all these ideas. Uh, I don't really have, like, a home recording studio, but during the pandemic or whatever, I got, uh, you know, some simple stuff to at least be able to do, like, demos and, and record, you know, simple band demo tracks or whatever at the house with, like, a decent, you know... Uh, kind of pre-production quality. And I, and I also, some of my favorite recordings are like super simple, you know, um, especially some of the older stuff that I dig, you know, and like even some of my favorite songwriters, my favorite stuff will be their demos. So I like to mess around with it, you know, but I'm definitely no engineer. Okay. Well, let's talk about that process, you know, because having a good song gives is half the equation. You know, that gives you something to say, but creating its identity and not only the identity of the song, but you as an artist is, is another art form in itself that happens in the studio. And it's a different environment. Uh, when you get into that world, into the studio, what is kind of your process that allows you to capture the sounds you're looking for? Uh, you know, a lot of it's about the players and... and um and the and the crew, you know, you have like engineers you like to work with, of course, and then obviously, you know, what like who am I in the room with personality wise is really important uh, musically and just their general personality. I uh, try to tap into people's strengths, you know, um, and so that's uh, always something I'm considering when trying to decide who's going to be on a a track or a date or whatever, and where you want to do it. Um, what the space has to offer. Uh, is something I'm thinking about too and, and deciding material and things like that. You know, I, some of this new record we recorded in a quite a large studio and some of it like, like large commercial studio and some of it we recorded in a much smaller space. Um, there's a little more, a little more raw of a space. And I like 
both sounds just as much in different ways. So I kind of try to think of like, what does the space have to offer to and, and decide what tracks or what ways to approach it, you know? Um, I really like the band being as together as possible, at least for basic tracking. And, it, you know, it's 2022, so most of us uh, do some kind of overdubbing. Uh, but I, I really like the band to be together. That's what I like about a larger space is for us all to be together. I, on this new record, I sang a couple of tracks live in the room with the drums, and we, like, kept all that. And that can be such a cool energy, too, um, especially for, like, you know, groove stuff, rock and roll stuff, you know, any of the funk stuff that we're doing. Like, I really like to be able to play together and, and feel an, a live energy because we're more of a live band anyway. So anything we can do to create the live kind of atmosphere for us or as close to that as we can get, those tend to be my favorite times recording with a band, you know, which is another reason I don't do as much of the home recording stuff personally. Okay. Now, um, Let's talk about the lineup on this. Who's playing on it? Uh, yeah, there's um a couple of there's there's a couple of different drummers. The first track is called Leaning Tree, and that's got Larry Thompson on drums. And I've been touring with Larry since the Otis Taylor days when we toured in Europe when I was like 19. So I've been playing with him for a long time. Um, the rest of the track, the drummer is Brian Claxton, uh, who's I've worked with a bunch. He's a really great drummer out of Greeley, Colorado. And then on bass. That whole record is Patrick McDevitt, who's a Denver local here. And on keys, it's all John Wirtz, who's been in my band basically since the inception of my band. So he's kind of the keyboard guy for all of our stuff. Um, and all of our, I think he's played on every record I've ever done since I was like out of high school. So, um, and then there's some there's some auxiliary stuff. Uh, Eric Benny Bloom from Lettuce. He's the trumpet player in Lettuce. He's one of my closest friends uh he plays a solo on a song called throwback Ruse. it's just beautiful he got it in like two takes just played the most ridiculous trumpet solo um and then there's uh percussionist jesse brooke and background vocals lauren dorland and the whole thing was produced by steve Berlin from i don't know if you know him from los lobos and a bunch okay. of other cool projects but uh yeah he's produced the this one and the one before nice now um Let's talk a little bit about getting it out there. Uh, of course, you got to put together your team, and you're working with Patty DeVries from Devious Planet. Tell me a little bit about that relationship. Uh, this is the first time I've worked with her. Uh, we've actually never even met in person, <laughs> which is it's cool that we can do that these days with technology. We can know each other um, from across the country. But, yeah, she uh, she came to me through my manager Nancy Sefton. Um, like they have, you know, some some uh, history, and uh, so you know, this is my first time working with Patty. But of course, you know, you release a record like this, you need some help on the publicity side. And, you know, you, a lot of people, I'm sure you know, of course, but a lot of people don't really, you know, realize what it takes to actually drop a record, you know, that if you're not just going to post it on Facebook and go, all right, cool. You know, <laughs> it's like, if you're trying to make an impact, there's all this stuff that has to happen. So for people who don't know, like Patty is our publicist. So she is kind of the, uh, uh, contact between our record and our team and people like, you know, rich here interviewing me to get the, um, media outlets to, to be aware of and promote, hopefully promote the record. So, yeah, that's kind of like her role, of course, and uh, she's been fantastic. Um, and, of course, that's why I'm here, you know. So. Okay. Now, um, 
let's talk about the business. Um, now, you've been in and out of the business for a little while, and over the last 20 years, you know, we've seen the digital revolution basically redefine the music industry several times over. Um, and the elephant in the room now is that the consumer has embraced streaming. That is the way they consume music today. They don't want to store, you know, CDs on their shelf. In fact, they probably don't even have a CD player anymore. You know, they don't want to store things in their phone because, you know, the iPod is long gone. Uh, So, you know, streaming is just convenient for the price of, you know, one CD a month. You know, they can have access to over 100 years of recorded music. The problem is, is that the consumer no longer looks at recorded music now as a product. It's not something to go out and purchase anymore. Um, how has this shift in perception affected you as an artist? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm 28. About, I'm just about to turn 29 years old. So if that gives you an idea of how long I've been, like like the years that I've been around for, I'm obviously, I, you know, I was at the very tail end of people paying for music. Like, well, I remember getting an iPod as a kid and still paying 99 cents per song, but even that didn't last very long, you know what I mean, in, in like, my memory. Um, so I'm, like, kind of right in that zone where I was buying CDs as a kid, absolutely, but nobody I really knew was, except for other musicians, like, kind of like big music fans or, like, kids who wanted to be musicians. So um, I've never known a market... As, an, as, a, as a musician, as an artist, I've never known a market that pays for music aside from maybe like buying your CD or record side the stage at your show. You know what I mean? To like specifically to support you. Like obviously, I've known that since the beginning of my of, of being in this business, but that's like the extent of it for me, basically. You know, so I can't even really relate to how it would feel as an artist to uh, be in that record label era and that physical distribution era etc um but i know that i understand the history of it and in general obviously now like it swung to where the way you can make money basically is uh by selling tickets you know live the live gig is now supporting the record instead of um or excuse me the live gig is now being supported by the record instead of the opposite you know uh like it was back then so i don't know that's like for me Luckily, I'm alive. Like, that's what I want to do is be, like, performing live all the time. I'm a live band kind of guy. So, but, uh, you know, at the same time, obviously, a lot of it seems, un- like, super unfair, um, the way some of it is distributed and who gets to decide those kind of things. Uh, and that's super frustrating. Um, but for me, like, at this point, I'm just trying to get, I-, I guess we have to try to use, as artists, we're kind of forced into a corner right now of, we like like it or not we have to use those services to try to get people to our gigs right um because that's the only way that a lot of us are making you know any kind of living right now outside of like licensing or whatever and that's a whole different game that's really hard to conquer so you know that's kind of how i feel about it uh you know what i'm saying yeah i know exactly how do you feel about it well you know um the thing with streaming is it's it's kind of like you said it's a double-edged sword because number one you have now access to a huge market you would not have normally have had access to because of streaming um but on the other side 
Um, you know, the record companies went to Spotify, Pandora, and all these streaming platforms, and they negotiated their own deal. And what happened was that left a smaller piece of the pie for the independent artists. And if you really sure. look at this logically, the bulk of the content that are on these platforms are not coming from the record companies. They're coming from the independent artist community. And the way this thing is being structured is not sustainable as a business model. We cannot continue to not compensate independent artists from, you know, uh, for going into a studio, spending the money to get a, a really good recording of their music and not be able to recoup that investment through some sort of monetary uh, gain through the recorded music process. So we need to right that ship somehow. Uh, what do you think needs to happen in order to give the artist a better compensation? Where, where do you think we need to go for in the future? Yeah, I you know, I don't... I, I don't know what the uh, actual formula is, and I'm sure it will change, you know, any minute now. Uh, for what, like a per, like per stream, an independent artist gets paid on, like Spotify, for example. I don't know, like those numbers, and like I said, they'll probably change. Um, anyway, but uh, you know, it's obviously like seems to be completely ridiculous. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, every number you've heard, even the highest numbers you hear, it's like, you know, I'm not going to quote them because I'll be wrong, but, uh, you know, it's like, seems pretty ridiculous. Right. So that, I mean, we know people on the top of this, on the company's side themselves, like, you know, when it's kind of like everything's floating to the top, like everything else in this country, you know? So, uh, until somehow they're willing to, make changes. I don't see how it's that part of it would get better. The other part that really annoys me is that they seem to have kind of taken from social media, like other social media outlets, um, is the algorithmic thing where once again, everything just kind of floats to the people who are already doing super well, you know, like the algorithm, we've all come to hate that word. Like all of us that have to deal with this, but don't necessarily want to, um, you know, like those of us who would rather be playing the guitar or whatever the fuck, you know. Um, but it's like the algorithms to just push everything to the people who are already doing super well with their numbers. And I understand why that makes sense for the company, but it makes it way more difficult for independent artists, like you're saying, who have less of a budget. And then they like, there's all these different things that you could spend money on to try to get your place in the algorithm to be better. But we're the ones who typically speaking, independent artists would be the ones with less money to even try to do that. You know what I'm saying? So it's again, that, that, you know, kind of, kind of manu manufacturing a way that everything sort of floats to the top way easier, you know, than, than going in the other direction. Uh, it's very frustrating. It's frustrating on social media. It's frustrating. It's frustrating on, streaming services, uh, it's frustrating in the economy, et cetera, et cetera, you know? I well, think we're—it's pretty clear. Yeah, I think this has been an issue in the music industry for a long time. I did—I read an article in Billboard magazine about how they looked at the billions of dollars that the music industry generates, 
and that the content creators themselves, the writers, the musicians, you know, all of the uh, artists themselves account for only 12% of that that money gets back to the artist. Right. You know, and that even is, you know, taking into account the, you know, the label, you know, big artists like your Taylor Swift's and so forth. But if you look at the sports industry, you know, the the performers in the sports industry, you know, they account from anywhere from 45 to 50 percent of the incoming revenue. So as an industry, there is a huge disparity here. And I think the biggest problem is the fact that we are so glutted with middlemen. There is just an umpteenth amount of people with their hands out every time you put out a product whether it's the the aggregator the distributor the you know the streaming service everyone is taking a piece of this pie even the labels themselves from the artists we need to change that system and take some of that gluttonous out of the industry and one of the technologies that i've noticed that is really starting to make some noise is this whole world of blockchain based streaming one of the advantages of this is that it is a decentralized system and in other words no one company can control it it is controlled by the artists and the fans basically is is where it comes down to so it's a direct connection between fans and artists and these streaming services that are developed now they're already out there are claiming to be able to pay artists up to 90 percent of the incoming revenue because there is no middleman there is no corporation that is sucking this particular service dry uh, one of these services is Audius, and then there's Emanate. So there are, you know, this technologies out there, and they're really trying to um, develop it in such a way that it is as convenient as Spotify. And as artists start to move over to these platforms, this may be the technology that writes the ship a little bit. What do you think of that as a possible future for the industry? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I I didn't know those companies you're mentioning, and I should, you know. So <clears throat> it's nice to to learn something new. Uh, but it's funny. I was just thinking right before you said that. Uh, I was thinking like, well, the only real way would be is if it's for this to really get better because the people who are profiting so much from it aren't going to try to make it better, you know. Obviously, um, is it would have to be run by us, and by us, I mean like us as artists and then of course the people consuming right so then you said exactly what i was thinking um so yeah i'm super into that idea i also think realistically the only way that that is going to work to where those those platforms would be able to actually compete with like a spotify or an apple music is for some really big artists with major influence major social influence to take some kind of stand by putting their record out only through those platforms or whatever the case may be. And it would have to be more than one, right? Neil Young on his own ain't going to do it. You know what I mean? Like we've already seen, you know? And so like for that to be a serious, I just think for that to be a serious contender on a larger scale, you know, uh, like to, to, to be on that level where you can get not just a person who's 
you know, a, um, <clears throat> a, 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 a deep music fan to care enough to, to switch to the platform. I just think there would have to be some people with like major, major social influence to come together and help to make that happen. But I think it could. I oh, think yeah. that would have to happen, though. Well, you know, uh, Audius is one of the platforms that I've been keeping an eye on. In fact, I even put my podcast up on Audius uh, every week. And that's got the backing right now of Katy Perry, Jason Derulo, uh, Naz, Pusha T, uh, Dead Mouse, a lot of the EDM artists. So it's it has some really big artists that are backing this this new platform. Uh, I think you're right in that in order for us to make this transition, we're going to have to move more artists over to these platforms. And, and some of them are going to have to come over there exclusively uh, in order to yeah. bring their fan base with them. But I think it's absolutely. I think it's definitely a possibility. And I think as we move forward, and the labels, you know, a lot of these artists when they start realizing that the labels no longer serve their needs, that they'll start moving their platform, their music over to these platforms. And allow this this artist to fan connection to to really become the new industry. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it would be amazing. You know, I've had similar um, thoughts about about how we promote shows, right? Because because for for like independent musicians, you have the same problem promoting your gig that you have promoting your song on Spotify, right? Promoting your gig on Facebook or whatever the case may be, Instagram, whatever, we all, we all talk about this all the time. If I put, like all of us musicians um, that I know, it's like if, if I put a picture of my face and say, gig went great yesterday, they'll let 100 people see it that'll like it. But if I put like, hey, come to the gig tonight to, and, you know, get off of Facebook and come to the gig, you know, they'll let like 13 people see it, right? And it's very obvious. We all watch it happen over and over and over, mm -hmm. you know? And because uh, they want you to just stay on the platform. So... But the point is, like, I really, I, I really want us to all try to find a way or ways where we can have some kind of platforms where we can post our gig uh, calendar and all of the, all the people we want to be connected with without having to pay to show it to your fans, which is what you have to do on Facebook um, on the, your official page, and without the uh, an algorithm saying, "Oh no, that's going to get them off Facebook for the night." Bump that post. You know what I'm saying? It would, like so just the same way as we're talking about like musicians and artists and and you know like music consumers setting up their own platform to stream i i would love to see some stronger uh work from that in that department like for the live gigs too you know because stuff it just seems to it gets so lost you know and and especially on a local level you know Oh yeah, and 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 I agree with you. I think, you know, social media, you know, uh, and has, you know, it's basically again that double-edged sword. You know, you you can't right. live with it, and you can't live without it. Um, you know, even right. you know when the pandemic hit, it became even more important because it was the only way to really stay connected to your fan base. You know, and a lot of artists started to do live streams. They started to. Uh, create content that was not necessarily music related but giving their fans this behind the scenes look at their world 
You know what I mean? And it started with, you know, you do a live stream in your living room and they get to see the, you know, the, the plastic palm tree you have next to your television and the, and the treadmill you use to hang your laundry, you know, and all that, you know, that stuff that, you know, that normally was not within their purview. And you have this whole group of, of potential fans that grew up on reality shows and reality type content. So to them, having that access to their fans, almost like this reality show, became important. And branding became the new product. What, what are some of the things that you're doing to kind of utilize that new world of content and social media marketing to create your brand for this particular project? Uh. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, one thing that I think uh, has worked for me lately is sort of taking, uh, at, at least when it comes to, like you're saying, that, that brand that you're putting out through social media specifically, I think kind of taking back over my social media pages and sort of just doing them the way that I want to do them for the most part um, and, like, whatever feels natural but also productive to me uh I kind of got caught into that thing where, you know, like you're talking about people want to see the real you, you know, I guess, you know, or, 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 or they, or, or they think they do <laughs> or whatever. They like invest like, in you as a person, you know what I mean? Right. And so for me, you know, I, I think it's best to just be to whatever extent is appropriate, like, like natural and your normal self on social media. And I feel like, you know, there's times where we get roped into, um, you know, it's almost like you got to be a politician on there. Like you have to be all official and, and everything needs to, you know, look perfect and, and you need to watch what you say and all this, right. Which is kind of like the opposite of what you're talking about that people dig, you know? Um, so for me, my strategy lately has been just be myself on there. Um, even with the official pages that, you know, I, I just feel like before the pandemic, especially a lot of, a lot of it was like new show announcement. We're coming here, and here's a nice little flyer for you. And it's like eh, people don't really care about that that much. Like, I mean, they do because they, they want to come to the show, but it's like not the best use of social media. You know what I'm saying? Um, right. Because of that reality show kind of <laughs> thing that that you're talking about. Uh, for me, you know, there, there's a balance. Like, social media can really make me feel like kind of crazy sometimes, especially growing up in that area I, I like narrowly narrowly avoided you know the time where you have social media from the time that you're like seven or whatever i'm like just a little bit older than that you know so i and i feel so grateful um but uh you know it can get uh, the, the reality show can get old um like anything so i try to have a little bit of balance i also try to make sure that like we're alive man like i said so lately we've been taking you know like video guy to most gigs to at least get some clips to share because you know if there was i don't care who how many people were in the room 13 30 300 3000 but it's like nobody else can see what went down uh then you're kind of limiting yourself so i think just you know if you can try to have somebody on the ground at the gigs you know that that really helps if you're if you're a good live band you know or live performing artists and and just show the hang you know like the community thing that happens at your gigs that's kind of part of our my like brand or whatever you know if, uh, if you want to 
yeah, if you want to think of it that way, it's like our, like our new album is called The Hang. We're like very much about community and about giving people our time and, and kind of breaking that fourth wall um, between artists and, and everybody else in the music community. And so for me, uh, it makes sense to show people The Hang and invite them to come to the next one, you know. So I find it pretty useful in that way, at least. Okay. Well, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with us. It's a pleasure to have you on. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there an Indie Blues double shot from the Tale of Scott Band. You guys are going to love this. You know what? Turn it up loud. Screw the neighbors. We're going to have some fun tonight. <laughs> I found you Floating in space When you fell Fell from the sun And you took me
artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Gonna rock these shades. 
Make you shout now, honey. 